Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson skulle jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. everybody to another episode of the Keeping Karlsson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best Fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who won the Cupful Ultimate Championship in the same year that they also became fathers. My name is Brian Gom, and today Elon Dabrowski is not with me. In fact, I'm joined by a very special co-host, but uh, we should start off with some big news right off the hop. Elon uh, is now a dad, and that's why he's not here tonight. Uh, we welcome to the world... Noah Dabrowski with great stats already. Six pounds, 10 ounces, 48 centimeters. The scouts are loving her and so are we. So uh, shout out to Elon and Noah and mom Dina, who is also doing very well. Um, there's a very cute picture that Elon may or may not share with the group, but uh, we are very happy and pleased to hear the good news. But that doesn't mean that the world has stopped. No, maybe Elon's world has stopped, but ours continues rolling on in fantasy hockey. And that's why we are here with you tonight to go through all the happenings of the first week of real NHL hockey and fantasy hockey action. And to do that with me, I am very, very pleased to be joined by Steve Laidlaw, one-time Dauber hockey fantasy writer. Like we're talking like OG Dauber hockey way back Back when I was still doing a podcast for Dabra Hockey, Steve was writing uh, and podcasting, and he's been a friend of the show. He's been on the show uh, many times over the years. And uh, I said all these things he's done formerly, but currently Steve is an excellent fantasy hockey knower and podcast guest host. And we're really excited to have you on the show tonight, Steve. Hello. Howdy, everyone. Uh, super excited to be here. It's, it's probably been a couple of years since the last time I was on, but uh, always happy to uh, pinch it, especially uh, under such excellent circumstances. So, yeah, it's really nice to uh, like a lot of good vibes feeling here and in the, the YouTube chat. Thanks, everybody, for the for the for the big. I'm sure Elon is maybe trying to sneak onto the stream at some point already, because I mean, we all need the latest news and analysis and for that reason, one thing you do is listen to this podcast. The other thing you might do is you might go over to Dauber Hockey, where you can read ramblings every single day. And yeah, they're, they're called ramblings, but they're actually very good stream of consciousness thoughts on everything that's going on in fantasy. So while, you know, you might have already heard Dave Benton's stream scheme, which we released, um, well, probably about 12 to 18 hours before you're listening to this. And Lewis and Ben break down the week's happenings on two short shifts episodes each week on the podcast. There are daily ramblings and articles over at Dabra Hockey so that you know exactly what you need to know for your team to dominate your fantasy league, even if it's a tough one, uh, all the pros know that you go to dauberhockey.com to stay on top of the news. But I don't want to, uh, I think that's it. I, I think the only other thing I'll mention is if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, welcome. We're happy to have you. It's a new fantasy hockey season. We hope we can help you win a championship this year. Two things we'd love. The first is if you enjoy the show, uh, please go ahead and write us a review on whatever podcasting service you listen to and subscribe. We'd really very much appreciate that. The other thing we'd appreciate you doing is if you don't like the show to not write a review, that would hurt us. So please don't do that. But also if you're really into it and you like what you're hearing, you like more, um, why don't you check out our Patreon? It's too early to plug this. This is not something Elon would ever do. So I'm actually going to not even tell you the link for it. You can check the show notes and we should get on to the biggest hockey headlines of the week. And I think we're going to start with injuries. The biggest one, the injury that has rocked the hockey world. Oh my goodness. Matt Murray left practice yesterday with what appeared to be a tweak. We waited and waited while we, all we knew was that he went to talk to Curtis Sanford. He, he went over by himself, then disappeared. And with bated breath, we waited for the Matt Murray news, which some of us knew, you know, it was already coming. Like, if we were to measure time in Matt Murray's Leafs fans are now officially one Matt Murray 
older. And the cycle of one Matt Murray, well known to Pittsburgh and Ottawa fans, is there's some preseason promises, reason to believe. And then, hey, he backs it up with a good performance. And then, well, there's a shaky performance with questionable goals, but there's still hope. And then a random tweak out of nowhere. What? I didn't even see that happen. And then guess what? That tweak is now a long-term injury. Goodbye, Matt Murray, for the foreseeable future. And that is uh, the length of time of one Matt Murray. But uh, whose time is it now? It's Ilya Samsonov's, who's now put up two consecutive great starts as the only NHL goalie in the least net at the moment, stopping a combined 50 of 54 shots for wins against Washington and Ottawa, adding up to a 926 save percentage. Now, Samsonov is a guy who has lost a lot of faith from those who believed in him, an 896 save percentage last year with just 33% quality start percentage. Before that, not much better, a 902 save percentage with a quality start percentage below 40%. So Steve, now that Samsonov appears to have a shot to really uh, establish himself as somebody who could take the net, like this is his chance, the way we're seeing for, you know, Talbot got injured in Ottawa, so Forsberg has an opening. This is a huge opening for Ilya Samsonov, who was once this big blue chip prospect who's fallen uh, by the wayside a bit and how much, how much we really hope to expect from him. Do you have faith, Steve Laidlaw, that this is an opportunity Ilya Samsonov can make the most of? I think so. I mean, ultimately, it's never a good sign when your team desperately doesn't want to pay you like the Washington Capitals desperately didn't want to pay Samsonov. Like they, they, they gave away their entire goaltending room and they completely turned it over um, as did the Leafs. And sometimes it's because of what those goaltenders were doing. And sometimes it's uh, it's because of what the team was doing. And I think that you know, under these circumstances, I think both teams were right to want to turn to uh, new options. And Samsonov is, is probably like, I don't know, the bottom tier of the Russian goaltending. Um, like how many of them are there now? Like a, a dozen uh, that are in the league, at least a half dozen. And he's probably the bottom one out of all those, but uh, still young, still talented. And the Leafs are like a bona fide top 10 team, uh, legit defensive team. I think that there's going to be nights where, they just can't handle team speed and he gets lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, so he's going to be a flammable option, but ultimately they're going to win a lot of games. Like they're going to be up around 50 wins. And if he's getting 60 starts, he's probably going to be in net for 40 of those. How long's Murray out for? I don't know. He's on LTIR. So who knows? Yeah, it's going to be, I think the last thing I saw was that it's at least four weeks and it's like an adductor injury, which like, is kind of like poetic because that's the injury that uh, the Sens lost Dominic Hasek to in the year they were really going to contend for the cup, finally had a goalie and the Leafs. I mean, Matt Murray's no Dominic Hasek, but there's there's an interesting uh, line about as thin as an adductor muscle, which I don't actually know what it is, but unfortunately it is broken on Matt Murray. So the Leafs have uh, recalled Eric Schalgren to come and help Ilya Samsonov, who we didn't see much from last year. And honestly, what well, we saw, sorry, we saw him perform, but we didn't see much by the ways of performance. And so I'm not that optimistic that he can hold down uh, any amount of consistent play over several consecutive starts. But one other Leaf that was able to get called up, thanks to Matt Murray and his contract going on LTIR, is Nick Robertson getting called up back to the big club. Now he is rumored to maybe... Uh, be in line for a spot alongside Tavares and Nylander. Uh, Nylander was sick from today's practice, so we actually don't know how things will shake out. But Robertson could end up flanking Tavares. Uh, of course, Dennis Malgin is the other player in this whole mix here. Uh, Nick Robertson, uh, you know, was sort of favored or or hoped to make the opening night roster. He's showed some growth in training camp. He didn't quite make it, maybe because of salary, maybe because just wasn't there yet, but had a great year in the AHL last season, 28 points in 28 games, including 16 goals. Saw some time with the Leafs, but mostly in a bottom six role. Uh, Steve, is this where you see Nick Robertson able to make an impact or do you think he's not quite there yet? You love that he's getting an opportunity here. And because of that 4 million going on LTIR, now they can carry 
you know, a 22 man roster, which means that even if he's not in the every night lineup, at least he's going to be on the NHL roster and one injury here and there, and he's going to get some opportunities to run with things. Um, is he better than some of the other smattering of options to be kind of that sixth top six forward? I don't know. I, I love the talent. I was huge on him in his draft year. And sometimes it just, it takes a little bit longer than you would have hoped. And sometimes it just doesn't come along at all, but certainly uh, the door's open there. There's no one on the roster that I think jumps out as, Oh, that has to be the player who plays in their top six and Robertson, probably not the answer, but none of those other guys are the answer either. So if you're just talking pure upside, uh, you got, you got to love it. Yeah. I love it because the Toronto's playing Arizona on Monday. So I have actually added Nick Robertson. Maybe I'll kick myself for it, but I had an extra move to make this week. I had an ad left over. I added Robertson just, just for the kicks, just for the lulls to see what happens. I mean, Dennis Mulligan shoots on the other side. So maybe Robertson can't straight up replace him. But Mulligan's done nothing with the opportunity he's had so far. About 12 minutes a night, he has not taken a shot on goal since the season opener against Montreal. So that's two games where uh, he had one cardio run against Washington with zeros across the board. At least he threw a few hits against Ottawa, but he's really not doing a whole lot out there, which makes me hope for Nick Robertson. Uh, let's move on to another injury that really rocked a lot of rosters early on in this fantasy hockey season. Patrick Liney took a real bad turn into the boards. It looked like his, his arm or hand, wrist, something got crushed in there. And he's out about three to four weeks is the latest news, which is bad news for a lot of fantasy managers who were excited for him, but not just for him this season, but for what he could do for Boone Jenner and Johnny Gaudreau. This was supposed to be a threesome that could really get together and do big things, uh, produce for their fantasy managers. And now that's not an option. So that's a big bummer that Patrick Liney's out. And I guess before I ask you about the replacement uh, Steve, I'm going to just ask you, how much does this impact Goudreau and Jenner? Like, do you think this downgrades how much we can expect to see from them with Liney out? Or do you think the two of them, plus it's going to be Gustav Nyquist that looks out, that's enough for them to be able to, to keep on clicking without missing too many point opportunities? Well, I heard it was Justin Danforth, which is just... Yeah. So, yeah. So like <laughs> it started, it started with Justin Danforth. Okay. Um, initially... So Justin Danforth, for anyone who doesn't know, who is this guy, uh, 29-year-old journeyman, after playing a little bit in several like pro leagues in North America, like the AHL for sure, I think he might have spent some time in the ECHL too, he went over to play in Finland for a bit, also in the KHL, now he's back in North America for the second year, he's 29 years old, this is just his second season making NHL appearances, so he joined Jenner and Gaudreau, he picked up an assist in 20 and a half minutes of ice time, but after that game, Danforth was not on the top line anymore. It was Gustav Nyquist, who now has goals in two consecutive games, has three shots on goal in consecutive games. Like Gustav Nyquist is this known tease, right? Like he he always seems to just creep up. He loves straddling that line between fantasy relevant and free agent fodder. I'm worried he's doing it again. Although it is worth mentioning that Justin Danforth and uh, newly signed rookie, exciting rookie, I don't know about this year, but maybe in the future, Kent Johnson were playing on the top power play with Jenner and Goudreau in the last game for Columbus, rather than Gustav Nyquist, who stayed on the second power play unit. So with all that known, Steve, uh, how do you see this shaking out for Johnny Goudreau, Boone Jenner, and Zach Wierenski losing Liney? And how do you see this shaking out for Gustav Nyquist and Justin Danforth, can they offer any fancy promise in their new positions uh, on line one and power play one, respectively? Well, I guess first question first, Jenner and Gaudreau. I mean, Jenner, just the existence of Johnny Gaudreau means that Jenner is going to have value. And he always has value just because of what he can do in multi-category leagues. Um, but having a legitimate offensive player who can just bounce pucks off of him into the net is going to make Jenner relevant, but Gaudreau moving to Columbus. I mean, even with a healthy line, a, this was a big downgrade. Like he's not going to do what he did last year. And now you take line a and his maybe 40 goals, but maybe he kind of 
his empty calories kind of sucks. Um, I don't know. It, it honestly, I think it could make Columbus a better team, him being out. So um, it's not going to help Goudreau or Jenner, but at the same time, I don't necessarily know that this makes the Columbus Blue Jackets a tremendously worse team. And now you've got a bunch of other players who are kind of promising, who are going to get opportunities. Uh, Danforth, I mean, I, I don't know, no offense to him, but we're probably scraping the bottom of the barrel there. But certainly some of the other options, like I actually, like Nyquist, we have seen him have some seasons and other times he gets buried, but he's a legitimate power play weapon. He's uh, He's sneaky good. And I think that there's some subtle value there. So we'll see. That's really interesting that you're saying that Patrick Line might help. Like it might hurt the offense, but it might help Columbus on the whole, which would be good news for Elvis Merzlikens, who I was looking at uh, at Hockey Viz to see how teams were doing defensively. And holy cow, like Columbus, their their chart is all red. That's bad uh, on defense. Like it is, it is ugly. You don't often see. Uh, such a bloody chart for lack of a better word, as you see for Columbus, which is bad news for Elvis Merzlikens, who himself has just recovered from an injury to be able to make his first first start of the year. But unfortunately in that first start, he stopped just 20 of 25 shots with an 800 save percentage. And Elvis Merzlikens is a guy who every year has been worse for him since he entered the league as maybe, you know, we, we were heralding him as the league's, best unsigned goalie like the 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 best goalie outside the nhl and uh he came in 923 save percentage in a handful of games the next year 916 and then finally last year a 907 paired with his first bad season in terms of quality start percentage below 50 percent which we forgave we talked about extenuating circumstances but i mean we're looking for an earlier impact from Elvis Merzlikens and what he's given us so far. Of course, Daniel Tarasov, who got two starts and lost them both, hasn't done much better uh, with an 890 save percentage. But do you think, Steve, that this is a season where Elvis Merzlikens is going to struggle again like he did last year? Or is there a redemption story possible? I'm a big Merzlikens fan, but the reality is in fantasy hockey, you draft teams, not goaltenders. And certainly the goaltenders themselves can have some influence on the team but columbus is just not a good team and merzlikens as you say the shot charts he can absolutely stand on his head and he might still be you know a bottom third starting goaltender so he's going to be nowhere near any of my fantasy rosters that uh count anything outside of wins and shutouts and even then he's not going to be that much of a contributing factor because the blue jackets probably aren't going to be a top team. Right. So that's a big concern for anybody rostering Merz Lickens. I mean, you hope that there's a lot of volume there because they're going to be bad, but you also hope that Merz Lickens can withstand when the floodgates open. And we have yet to see, it's been a while since we've seen him do that. It would be really valuable if he could. Okay. Let's go to another injury. Actually, we have no update. So maybe we'll just hit on this one quickly. Tyler Bertuzzi left last night's contest on Saturday, uh, mid game, no update or real, any information that I could find about what exactly he left for and what the, the long, what the prognosis is here. Uh, but he was replaced by Dominic Kubalik. Remember Dominique Kubalik and how he's on the Red Wings? Of course you do. Kubalik has uh, one goal on one shot over two games, which is extremely Dominique Kubalik territory. Steve, if Bertuzzi stays out and Kubalik stays on the top line with Larkin and Lucas Raymond, are you at all interested in him? Or like, are you feeling like I have in the past when he's been on good lines in Chicago where it's like, yeah, he could do well, but I could also be risking a fantasy black hole. Yeah, I'm not chasing down Kubelik. There's a lot more hot starters in more intriguing positions who have really cemented what they've done with their hot starts that you could more likely stream in, like say just like offhand, a Gabe Velarde uh, would look a lot more intriguing because he's done it over a few games and they're clearly committed to giving him uh, those top power play minutes. So um, with Detroit, I think we're too early on uh, with what this team has going on to really uh, know whether what we've seen so far from them, both uh, offensively and defensively, is for real. 
so we're still waiting for things to shake out a little bit. The only people that I would really feel confident in on that roster are Larkin, Perron, Cider, and Raymond. Okay. I noticed you mentioned David Perron there, and I'm going to throw one little wrench into that because he's next on my list. While we're in Detroit, yeah, like one goal in two games, that's fine. Four shots in two games, that's okay. And he's on the top power play. But one concern that I had with David Perron is that he started the season playing almost 17 minutes in his first game. The next game, he saw a three-minute drop in ice time, playing fewer than 14 minutes. I don't know. I like for me, that's just a red flag right off the top. And we can't read too much into it. Honestly, I don't even know. Like I didn't see any reporting, but maybe he was injured or had to go to the bathroom. I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to keep all these possibilities in mind, but are we worried at all about the 34 year old Perron being relevant after three straight seasons, like at 70, 85 and 70 point paces in St. Louis, really great. Are we worried about him being able to stay relevant in Detroit, especially if this ice time uh, does not pop back up in the next game or two? Yeah, I wouldn't sweat the ice time necessarily, but certainly the new circumstance is cause for concern because he was very much cemented in as a one-timer option in St. Louis. He really worked on his shot like the, the the most recent time that he went back to St. Louis and he developed into a legitimate goal scorer. And you'd like to see him to continue to be used in that role. But the fact that Lucas Raymond is kind of like the number one playmaker on that power play and him being right-handed and Perron being right-handed, like there's a little bit of uh, the feng shui that just doesn't kind of jive like you, you would prefer if they were uh, if they were inverted handedness just to, to absolutely maximize what their roles could be. But he's been he's been a power play wizard, um, certainly during his time in St. Louis. So whether it was just the fact that they were kind of blowing out uh, their last opponent. And so they were like, well, we'll give the we'll give the old wheels a little bit of rest or what have you. Um, yeah, not concerned about the ice time at this time but certainly concerned about the new circumstance and just what is Detroit with all these new faces. Yes. Let's keep an eye on how that, you're not worried about the ice time. That's great. I, I I agree. I'm not bringing up to be alarmist, but if this trend continues, let's, uh, let's keep an eye. And I also liked what you said about Velarde, which I think we'll come back to later in the show Uh, for now. One more injury. Uh, Mike Matheson is out of the lineup. It looks like he'll be out for a while. Uh, but my question is, if a defenseman is injured, if a non, if a barely fancy relevant defenseman on a basement dwelling team is injured and nobody notices, is he really injured? That's the question about Mike Matheson, who has now been replaced on the top pair. Well, the top pair in Montreal now features, uh, we've got rookie Caden Gould, who has now stepped up and is playing, well, he played 22 and a half minutes in the, in the opener, then 16 minutes, then 20 and a half minutes. Across those, he's got nine hits and six blocks, only one shot, so nothing really to write home about there. And David Savard is the other top pairing defenseman in Montreal. Bonus, like 100 bonus points to any listener who knew that already before I mentioned it. David Savard has gone back to his big shot-blocking ways. He, he had nine shot blocks in Montreal's opener against Toronto, has had seven over two games since, a uh, few hits, uh, only two shots, though, and they both came in Montreal's most recent game against Washington. So I don't know if there's any value there, but one guy that there is value in is Jake freaking Allen. What a start to the season for him with a big win against Toronto in the opener, stopping 29 of 32 shots followed by an incredible performance where he stopped 37 of 38 shots for a loss against Detroit, which is going to happen when you're playing for the Montreal Canadiens this year. But Jake Allen, after two outings, is a 943 goalie on the season. And this following up on two seasons where he's been at 905 and a 907 save percentage in Montreal. But Allen really has been playing some of the best hockey in his career in recent years, like over like three of his last four seasons have been the best of his kind of lengthy career. So it seems like he's figured something out and is bracing this role in Montreal. Steve, my question for you is if you had Jake Allen right now, I do in at least one of my leagues, I'm just trying to figure out at what point I might want to sell high or might want to consider it. Like right now, I just want to enjoy the fact that Montreal is going to give up 
a ton of shots, like bring it on. I get points for saves. I don't care if he doesn't win. Wins aren't huge in my format. I just like the volume. But my concern is that after enough volume, he might start falling apart. So my question for you, Steve Laidlaw, is can Jake Allen, like at what point are we worried about Jake Allen doing so well with so much volume? Because on one hand, it's great. But on the other hand, I'm worried that that dam's going to break. Uh, again, it's goalies. You draft teams, not goalies. So my question for you is why is Jake Allen on your team other than as a streamer? Because because in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, KKUPFL.com, having a, a sure shot number one is valuable. And again, wins aren't a huge deal. Goals against doesn't exist. I mean, you get a penalty for goals against, but it's not like a bad goals against average. So if you're if you're stopping if you're like a 905 or 910 goalie and you're seeing at least 30 shots a night and stopping, you know, that percentage of them, you're in good shape. So that's uh that that's why Jake Allen's on my cupful team. Okay, so you're in a points-based type scenario yes. where you're just looking for pure volume in net and it doesn't particularly matter. You might get beat up on the odd start, but you just want players to run out there. Uh m- I would wonder who's actually buying high on Allen at this stage. Certainly, maybe you would find someone, but I think that if you went out shopping around, um, you wouldn't get too many um, too many takers on what you're selling. So um, it's kind of like you know, if you want a speed race with an old Chevy Cavalier, and um, yeah, it, it looked great in that one race, but uh, I, I don't think anyone's ponying up 40 grand for your Cavalier. Okay, that's a great analogy. Okay, well, I'm going to be happy with my Cavalier for now. And uh, if it conks out when I'm halfway between Ottawa and Toronto, I will deal with the consequences then and figure out my plan B, at least at the moment. Uh, let's go to one more. This is not an injury. Uh, This is just a line change, though, and Ryan Hartman is not injured, although his performance has been pretty weak. Just one assist in two games, six shots, three hits, so not bad in peripherals, but the production hasn't been where we hoped it would be after Hartman got to play last season, like basically the whole season, alongside Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello, and had a 65-point pace doing it, and that was with, like, second power play unit deployment and production uh, unfortunately about a game and a half into this season in this wild game that ended with the wild losing seven six to la he was bumped off that top line he was bumped down to i guess i'm going to call it like line 2a or 2b in minnesota um this is with uh, Gaud- hartman joined sam Steele and matt boldy which isn't terrible but freddie gaudreau got the bump up to the top line. I guess Minnesota felt like they had to do something. Goudreau didn't do a ton while he was there. But Steve, I'm wondering if you could pick someone right now between Freddie Goudreau and Ryan Hartman to roster for, say, the next five or ten games. Which one would you pick, or would you say you're not interested in either? I would probably continue to ride with Hartman, but it's always a precarious situation when really the player that is valuable is Kaprizov and you're just snagging a player who's valuable adjacent. Um, But Hartman does a few more things in terms of the peripherals and he was the guy for much of last season in what was a very successful season. But I mean, ultimately he's not a number one power play unit guy and he's so heavily dependent on what you're getting out of Kaprizov to drive his value so my answer would probably be neither I mean this just it reeks of Vlad Nemesnikov vibes from years back when he was top line top power play with the Tampa Bay Lightning and um, he got a little bit of shine there in the preseason back with the Lightning and certainly he hasn't been deployed in that fashion and he hasn't been valuable so um yeah, I don't really trust either one. And if forced to choose one, it would be Hartman just because he did it for so long. All right. So not not a huge vote of confidence for either guy. I, I think I'm with you. Like I would say Hartman owners shouldn't give up yet, 
but you should definitely keep a close eye on the situation because this is a guy who hasn't done anything for you in your first matchup. And you want to make sure that he's not going to continue doing nothing for you in future matchups. All right, that's it for our injuries section. How about we move in to some of the biggest performers of the opening week, including uh, one player who has a share of the early season goal scoring lead. Steve, do you have, can you name the three players tied with four goals apiece at this juncture of the season? I absolutely cannot. (laughs) I love that you didn't even try. Okay. Well, one is Connor McDavid who has four goals in two games. The other, of course, right up there with McDavid is Nino Niederreiter who has four goals in four games. And the guy I'm about to talk about here who made a huge impact in the three games he played this week already is Steven freaking Stamkos. The 32 year old has a goal in every game he's played so far. One in the opener at uh, playing at Madison square garden two playing against Columbus. And then another uh, goal to give him his fourth against Pittsburgh, where he also added an assist. Uh, Stamkos also has four goals on 16 shots, including two power play goals. So even though he's scored on a quarter of his shots, the fact that two of them are power play goals, makes them a little more believable. Like, I'm not like, ah, forget it. This isn't going to continue. I'm actually pretty hyped about what Stamkos is doing early on. And what's interesting is that he started the season playing with Kucherov and Point, and they were losing the shot share battle. Then Stamkos moves with Kolorn and Paul, and they are destroying uh, Alex Kolorn and Nick Paul. They're just destroying other teams with a 64% shot share, which is incredible. So way to go, Stamkos, Alex Kolorn, and Nick Paul. By the way, Stamkos saw seven minutes of power play time in his first game, five minutes of power play time in his third game. So I guess there's not much actionable advice here, Steve, except for like pat yourself on the back. If you've got Steven Stamkos, I guess maybe I'll just ask you quickly, what do you think Stamkos' upside is this year? I mean, we've seen some real successful seasons from him lately, especially because, touch wood, he seems to be staying mostly healthy over the last little while. Uh, but last year he had a 107 point pace, which was his best point pace of his career in his age 31 season. So I'm curious to see Steve, how high he can go in his age 32 season right now. He's on 137 point pace. Where do you see the upside stopping for Steven Stamkos? Yeah, I don't think it goes much higher than what he did last season, but certainly the fact that the lightning don't have quite as much depth and they're looking kind of creaky. Like you mentioned that on certain lines, he's, you know, they're, they're really getting outplayed. And I think that'll be kind of a a night to night thing uh, for them too early to, to really drive any major conclusions, but they've looked creaky and you wonder if the fact that they don't quite have the same depth that they've had, over the past doesn't mean that they have to rely on some of these veterans just a little bit more, you know, and add, you know, a double shift here and there, a few extra minutes on the power play here and there, um, chasing a game rather than closing out a game. Maybe that means that he's playing more six on five, that sort of thing. And, and with the high end talent at the top of the lineup that they do have, you wonder if that doesn't result in slightly higher point totals uh, in its own right, but wouldn't get carried away with it. Like this is a guy who is going in the top 30 of all fantasy leagues. So um, is anyone who has him looking to sell high at this time? No. Is anyone who doesn't have him going to give up their first round pick in order to acquire him? Probably not. Um, So I I guess the move is to chase down some players who may be uh, adjacent to him. And that would be in the Kalorn Paul type realm. And I, you know, I don't know what Kalorn's ownership rates are, but he's certainly a guy who intrigues me on that lightning team. Yeah. So let's talk about those adjacent uh, players. So you just said Kalorn might be someone who intrigues you Two assists, one shot on goal over the three lightning games so far, Nick Paul, Nothing, just five shots on goal. So you're interested in Kalorn. Are you interested in, in Nick Paul at all? And maybe I'll, I'm going to piggyback another question onto this. Maybe you could rank these players along with Brendan Hagel, who took Steven Stamkos's spot on the top line with Kucherov and Braden Point. Hagel uh, has a very Nick Paul-esque stat line so far. Zero points, five shots, no peripherals, which uh, this is a guy who usually at least throws a hit 
every so often, playing 16 minutes a night, again, largely with uh, Kucherov and Point at five on five. So could you tell me in which order you'd be interested in having Kalorn, Nick Paul, and Brandon Hagel on your roster? Yeah, it'd be Kalorn, Hagel, and Paul. Kalorn, we know he's done it for so many years. We we know kind of what he is, um, especially if he, you know, he'll lose his top power play minutes on occasion, but generally speaking, he's going to be a part of that top power play. Um, he's going to get you about two shots a game. He's going to get you 20 goals, 60-ish points. Um, and he's, you know, maybe 15 to 20 power play points, depending on how, how the touches go while he is out there on that unit. And neither of those other guys are going to get the consistent top power play minutes the way that Kalorn is. Um, Hagel, you could see him stealing those, uh, but he hasn't done it. And until he does it, I'm not going to buy. And then Paul, I just don't necessarily see him as an option. I think they're going to use him for other roles and his offensive upside is fairly limited. Yeah, Paul seems like maybe the reason why that line is winning the shot share battle so much. Like he's really great as a two-way player. And I think that benefits Stamkos. So I like him playing with Stamkos, but I don't necessarily like his fantasy value, similar to what you said. Uh, and Kalorn last season at a 59-point pace. And this season, I, I'm with you, Steve. I think he could probably do something similar if he holds on to that top power play spot and uh, keeps playing well with Steven Stamkos. We got a lot of hot streaks still to come with some cold streaks and maybe a couple other things mixed in in betweens. Uh, we're going to take a break for just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right. Welcome back to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We were just talking about Steven Stamkos' hot start to the season. How about another established player, Steve? Just to at least give some kudos to and wonder if maybe we're just seeing a new side to Mark Scheifele just going hard out of the gate. Now, Winnipeg has just played one game, but in that game, Mark Scheifele, who averaged just shy of two and a half shots per game, very consistently for the last four seasons, he put Seven, seven shots on goal. That is Shifley's biggest single game shot total since 2019-20 season when he had seven shots against San Jose in February, eight shots a couple months earlier versus Dallas. Since then, he's had six shots three times, but never seven until just recently. And oh yeah, Shifley scored on two of those seven shots he took. Like Mark Shifley is this consistently stellar converter. He scored on nearly 18% of his shots over the last three seasons and really for the majority of his career. So if Shifley started ratcheting up his shot totals and held that percentage, that would give him literally uh, one goal per game, actually more than one goal per game if you do the math. So are we about to see an 82 goal season from angry Mark Shifley? I mean, I think we both know that's not going to happen. Nah. However, um, a career season from Shifley, really, I'm, I want to see more. I want to see a game where they're not playing the Rangers. And I, I'm presuming that there was some uh, penalty power play type scenario. Oh, just two minutes of power play time, actually. That's wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, I retract that statement. In in any case, I want to see how Rick Bonus handles the ice time because we talked about it with the Tampa Bay Lightning, how they're reduction in depth could lead to top players playing more. That's a scenario that has been playing out for the Winnipeg Jets for the past few seasons. And it's played well for guys like Shifley and Wheeler and Kyle Connor and somehow not Nikolai Ehlers, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the bottom line is if he's not allowed to extend shifts the way that he used to, and he's not getting 20 minutes a night, then we might see more games where he actually goes under his shot total than what we just saw. So um, I'm really intrigued to see um, exactly what we get in terms of ice time. And I think that the opportunity is probably not going to be there the same way that it was. Yeah, I, th I think I, I tend, it, what's really interesting, actually, you mentioned Rick Bonus coaching Winnipeg and seeing how that affects Shifley. I don't know about you, but I've been seeing like things coming out from Dallas now about players reacting to the first couple games and saying, we're free. 
Like there's so, there's so many things we can do that we couldn't do before. And it feels good. And we're excited. Like Rupe Hins had a great game uh, to start uh, just, I think his, his most recent game, I think it was on Saturday night. He had a couple goals. Miro Haskinen's also been talking about how he feels readier to start the breakout. So we'll see uh, whether things turn the other way in Winnipeg. One place where we expected things to turn really bad to start the season but we have been surprised because they haven't is over in Philadelphia where the flyers are off to uh, an impressive start in, in like everywhere in every way they are two and oh, which I don't think, I, I don't know. I didn't really have them winning their second game of the season until maybe the third or fourth week of it, but the flyers beat the devils five to two and then came back to beat the Canucks three to two on Saturday night. And there is a lot of fantasy value happening in those eight goals. Like Flyers were a team that I was generally seeing away from in my drafts. And if you look at their lines, uh, they're kind of neither is so appealing on, on line one. It's the only line I think I'm going to name because the others are sort of, eh, I'm not sure. But you've got Kevin Hayes, Konechny, uh, and Scott Lawton. On line two, you've got Joel Farabee, Wade Allison, and Noah Cates. And on, well, I'm guessing I'm naming lines. On line three, you've got James Van Riemsdyk, Morgan Frost, and I think his name is Taylor Lazinski? Lazinski? I don't even know. And then on their top power play, you've got JVR, Hayes, Konechny, and Farabee working with Tony D'Angelo. And again, I'm seeing a lot of names, and you're probably like still, how is this, like, what about them? Well, Travis Konechny, with three goals and an assist for four points and six shots in two games, he's also added a full minute of ice time per night over what he was averaging last year so far. I haven't even mentioned the defense. Ivan Provorov, holy cow, three assists for three points in two games and nine shots. I had to wait three weeks for Provorov to do that on my fantasy roster last year. Oh, did I mention Provorov also had nine hits and 11 blocks, even though he's so far averaging two fewer minutes a night on ice than he was last year. Then, of course, Tony D'Angelo is a new addition, a goal and two assists for three points, four shots, two power play points, and six blocks in the two games of Flyers. Like, filling categories? Tony D'Angelo? What? Also, Tony D'Angelo is playing 25 and a half minutes a night. He has never played more than 20 minutes a night on average. He rarely did it in a single night, in part. This is like my mind is getting blown over and over here because Tony D'Angelo is playing extra minutes on the penalty kill, yes, he's seeing over half of the Flyers' shorthanded time on ice in a role that he's never been entrusted with anywhere before. So I guess maybe that's where these blocks are coming from. And then you've got JVR, three assists and three shots. Kevin Hayes, three assists, five shots, two power play points, three more minutes a night. He's averaging like easily a career high. Scott Lawton has a goal on six shots. Wade Allison has a goal on five shots. There's a, a lot of these guys you would have been very happy to stream in and get a performance like this from Steve. I've just named so many players. Which of these guys do you think is going to be worth rostering for another consecutive matchup or beyond? Uh, a very few of them. Uh, the flyers were basically the Fleers. Like, I don't know if you remember the <laughs> trading cards from the 90s, yes. but like no one wanted Fleers and no one wants flyers. And oh, I, I love think it. I think that the early production is, I think it says more about the teams that they played than it does about the Flyers themselves. But it seems like the players that are there have bought in to what Tortorella is selling. And you know that when the players buy in, he will squeeze whatever juice he can out of the orange. So Travis Konechny, talented player, he'll be on the borderline of fantasy relevance. Ivan Provorov, if Carter Hart isn't a complete sieve, then he won't destroy you in plus minus, and he should be valuable in hits blocks leagues. Tony D'Angelo, I mean, if Tortorella is able to get Tony D'Angelo blocking shots, and I think Tortorella might be the only person in the world who could get him to do that, then Tony D'Angelo might have value in fantasy leagues i'm not buying any of them but you know that's an opportunity to buy on productive players because i don't think anyone who owns them is buying either 
Right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is not a moment to get married to any of these flyers, although I should mention Carter Hart. I didn't even mention him, so I'm glad you mentioned him, Steve. 63 saves on 67 shots against for a 940 save percentage over two games. This might be his best back-to-back game performance. I haven't gone through all the numbers, but it's been a while since he's done something like that for two consecutive games. And boy, would it be nice if he could continue doing it. You know, Steve, you mentioned maybe it's because of the opposition that they played. So I'm actually going to dip into our cold streaks for a moment here and visit the New Jersey Devils, who Philadelphia beat on opening night, where uh, the Devils, that, that resulted in Lindy Ruff getting booed at their home opener. And I saw a clip of him today. Like if you were lip reading, he's like, am I getting booed? Are they booing me? Uh, you seemed caught off guard. And frankly, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't blame them. I, it's been a while since I've had a lot of faith in Lindy Ruff, but the Devils, woof, what a start to the season in the opposite direction of the Flyers, right? They were uh, maybe on track to bigger and better things this season. The stars seemed aligned. They made some big moves in the off season optimism was there. Hey, they're ready to compete. And they have, um, well, to put it politely, I don't know how to put it politely. (laughs) Actually, uh, the last game, the Devils were rolling the lines. Jack Hughes with Dawson Mercer, Tomas Tatar, Heeshir Palat brought, and Miles Wood, Eric Halla, and uh, Zetterland playing together. And on the top power play, Tatar was up there with Hishier, Brat, and Hughes. And Miles Wood over on line three had a scathing quote post-game for the team saying, uh, I'm tired of being on a bad team. We need to do better. And while you might think, oh boy, like this is a third liner talking this way, but he's right. His line crushed the shot share battle that game. No other line was nearly as effective. And he's watching uh, Vitek Vanacek put up a 773 save percentage in his start. Mackenzie Blackwood an 833 save percentage in his start. The only guys doing anything for the Devils so far, Jesper Bratt with three assists and five shots in two games. Dougie Hamilton has a goal and assist for two points, seven shots in those two games. Dawson Mercer, I guess, if we're looking for another, has 11 shots, but just one point. Then you have Jack Hughes, Andre Palat, Igor Sharangovich, uh, and Nico Hishir, who's only played one game, but they have all yet to hit the score sheet. So I guess what's my question here? I, I it, okay, I, I'll put it into two, three questions. The first is: Is this a good time for Jack Hughes by low attempt, as the wheels appear to be falling off, or maybe even a Dougie Hamilton, even though he's one of the few who's done something? I don't think you're going to buy Jack Hughes by low, but I'll let you say that, Steve, if you agree. The second question is: I dropped Andre Palat on my cupful team today. Do you think I will come to regret that? And the third question is, do the Devils have an answer in net here, like in-house? Or did they blow it again in the offseason and are going to have goaltending kneecap them all year? I'll uh, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, so interesting, the Miles Wood quotes. It's, it's kind of like one of those uh, slasher films from the 90s. Like, the killer is inside the building, and it's the goalies, and also maybe the head coach. Um, so, I mean, is, is anyone like, you might as well fire Lindy Ruff now. Like he's not making it out of October. Like his replacements already sitting on the bench with it. Um, who is it? It's, uh, Andrew Burnett. Oh yeah. Won the president's trophies with the Panthers and they let him go. And he, boom, he's the associate head coach, which is basically like saying, I have your job. You just don't know it yet. So I don't know when that firing's happening, but coaches always get fired when their goalies don't make saves and these goalies can't make saves. And I don't think that's going to stop Jack Hughes from having fantasy value. It's certainly not going to stop Dougie Hamilton from having fantasy value. Is Jack Hughes going to have the 100-point breakout that we all hoped for? Starting to think maybe not. Um, and certainly I am over leveraged on those two in my pools. Okay. Um, so, so let me ask you, what are you going to do about that? If, if you've, uh, if you're already seeing enough that you don't think Jack Hughes is going to hit that upside, are you, are you, are you looking to trade? Well, you can't shop around cause you're only going to get thrown crappy offers. So he's, he's going to be a point per game guy and you just ride that out. But I think that the instinct to dump Palat and maybe some of the other adjacent because it's going to be a lineup lender uh, trying to find things that work. And it may be like that until 
brunette is the head coach and then you might find some um, stability on that roster and once there's stability then maybe you can start looking for those peripheral options but on a bad team there's only ever a few guys that you want and you want the uh, the premium names and those are the ones that I would go for. I'm relieved to hear you say that. I'm trying to learn the lesson that I learned a couple years back when Tomas Tatar was signed by the Devils. And I thought this is a perfect complimentary player to what the team needs. And then he wasn't. And I held on to him for way too freaking long. And so Pallada, I'm cutting bait early, mainly because he's off the top power play, which is where I thought like his one good season in, in Tampa was in Kucherov's spot on the power play, which there is no spot like that in New Jersey, but I thought that would at least be a start to get him somewhere. It uh, hasn't been so far. <laughs> Clearly, Tomas Chatar is back on the top line. I feel like they're personally trolling me, um, but let's move on. I, I feel a little validated. Thank you for that. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Brunette on the bench next to Lindy Ruff. Well, how about we go to his former team over in Florida where we have uh, Jack Hughes disappointing those who drafted him, Matthew Kachuk impressing those who did with points in each of his first two games, he's got a goal and two assists for three points in his first two games and eight shots. That's really nice. He's also up three and a half minutes a night. Uh, but I think that is Steve, you mentioned power play time being a potential culprit earlier. I think that is a culprit here. He's seen more than 13 minutes on the power play so far. So we'll see just how many minutes a night Matthew Kachuk gets when that power play time evens out. Uh, he does have one power play point on the top unit. Uh, he's playing with Rudolph Balsers and Sam Bennett at five on five. So Steve on the show, we were sort of, we were cool to Matthew Kachuk going into the season. I was never comfortable drafting him anywhere. I ever saw anybody drafting him, including in the cupful. What do you think about this start and how it compares to your expectations for him? Were you worried? And if you were, does this ease your worries? Uh, or if you were worried about him to start, do you sell high now? What do you, what are you doing or thinking about Matthew Kachuk's great start out of the gates with the Panthers? Well, the Kachuk situation was fascinating because I think everyone saw, okay, away from the ludicrous Flames top line, he was not going to be as productive. And even going to a, a team with as much offensive talent as the Florida Panthers, it just, it wasn't going to come together, probably not a hundred point guy, but you looked at the depth of the right wing position and everything that Kachuk could do as a multi-category producer, especially just in terms of shot volume. And the reality was that, yeah, this is still a top 20 guy, even though he's maybe maxing out at 85 points. Uh, Multi-category producer, I've, I've said it a bunch of times, but that's that's what he is. And the right wing position, like he was still a top five right winger and just the drop off relative to the left wing was huge. So you could justify taking him in the early teens and feel comfortable that this was a good decision just because you were going to struggle to fill right wing otherwise. Right. So this is a, so a boon for anybody who's got him. But I, so like, just to put that into like, are you saying don't get too comfortable or are you feeling comfortable? I you draft a guy in the top 30 to have him all year. So you just, you just ride it out and there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. Um, but the greater intrigue is going to be what he can make of those silly, silly line mates that they have him playing with. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's the concern. I mean, I saw him beyond the top 30. I don't think I, I can I bring up the couple ADP quickly enough. I don't think I can, uh, but go to kukupful.com, kkupfl.com to grab it. Uh, it's in our fantasy tools section. Uh, I, he was going late first, I think middle second round, like the top 20 even. Uh, so a couple guys, let's talk about a couple other guys in Florida before we move on from Kachuk, who I, yeah, I think you're right. Like if you were worried about him, you wouldn't have drafted him where you did, and now you're just feeling justified. And so I don't think anybody is worried about Matthew Kachuk, who has him on their roster. Um, Sam Bennett, I think people who are rostering him are worried. Nothing in two games, despite seeing more ice time so far this year. Only three shots through two outings, only two hits, of course. Both games he's played have been road games, which we know historically uh, Sam Bennett does not mysteriously does not get the shots and hits on the road that he's credited with at home. So maybe wait till he's back home to make some judgment. And another player who 
I had good vibes on going into the season, but he has not rewarded or fulfilled those vibes. It's Carter Verhage. What a 69-point pace as a sophomore in his first meaningful offensive role of his career in 2020-2021, playing alongside Alex Barkov. And then last season, Verhage's 58-point pace, it wasn't awful, but the way he did it was he went AWOL for large stretches, was a frustrating hold, and we couldn't actually find anything wrong with him when we dug into the numbers, which is one reason why I had good vibes. I'm like, okay, whatever was happening last year in the past, we're just going to pick up where we left off and be back at that 65, 70 point place. Now Verhage is playing with Barkov and Reinhardt and has no points to his name after two games, only two shots. Is there still hope for this 27 year old to produce or Sam Bennett to produce Steve? They're, they're both in reasonable spots on the, on the depth chart, right? They're both in the top six. Neither one is on the top power play. If you had both and had to drop one, which one would you drop and which one would you keep? I'm out on Bennett. Um, I think he was a major product of Jonathan Huberto, both at five on five and on the power play. But now that you've got like the A plus version of the instigator slash net front presence in Matthew Kachuk, what is Sam Bennett other than just a guy? So I'm completely out on him won't be finding him on any of my rosters other than as a streamer. Uh, Carter Verhage, I think he's in the exact same spot he was last year. So no reason to lose any optimism that you would have had about him last year. Now, there was some added intrigue because of some of the front end depth uh, that was lost for the Panthers that maybe he would get top power play usage and instead it's Brandon Montour. So um, yeah, I'm not concerned about Verhage. He's a five on five production monster and he's attached to Barkov and I think will continue to be. So he's going to be in that 55, 60 point range uh, fringe valuable, depending on the size of your league, but uh, in your deeper leagues, that's a buy low opportunity. Um, but if he's not getting top power play minutes, you're not going to see him go off for any more than that. And he's going to be one of those guys who we just wish would get top power play minutes like Jakob Verana and some of the other guys who just cannot get it for no reason. So there's one player who we were really hoping to get top power play deployment last season over in Carolina. That's Martin Natchez, who has come out hot out of the gates, despite still not being on that top unit. In fact, I think he's, like not like on the second unit he's playing with you might have thought I was going to talk about Andre Svechnikov but I'm not because uh, we expect big things from him but Martin Natchez three points in his season debut added another in the next game for two goals and two assists for four points five shots on goal Natchez is playing at evens with Kotkaniemi and Andre Svechnikov seeing a couple more minutes a night which is a nice little vote of confidence from his coach after seeming to have lost Rod Brindamore's confidence uh, at some point early last season. But now the 23-year-old Natchez has a chance at redemption after following up a super promising 60-plus point pace in 2020-2021. Oh, it's so hard to say all these 2020s together. Uh, last season, Natchez followed up a good season with a bad season, dismal 42-point pace for Natchez and that declining coach confidence. So I'm wondering... Is Martin Natchez someone we're looking to as someone who might be able to have relevant production, like might be another sort of Carter Verhage who can produce well despite not having top power play deployment? Yeah, I think Verhage is a really good um, analogy for Natchez. Inconsistent would be the best way to describe him. Still a very young player. Uh, So that would be kind of why he fell out of favor for a while there. Um, and if he's not scoring, like what, what, what is he kind of doing for you? Uh, cause he's not going to be getting those top power play minutes without uh, a ton of injuries. So, uh, I like it. I don't love it. Um, but certainly uh, a player that I love the talent. It's just, you know, the opportunity is not going to be there. So the upside is, uh, it's capped. Yeah, I mean, I like him as a streamer early on, but I agree that that capped outside means that there might be some more exciting players out there. One of them who's, uh, you know, you've got NHS on the second line, second power play. Here's a guy in Buffalo, top line, top uh, second power play. Sorry, Victor Olofsson, 
who has two goals to start the season. And okay, I know both empty netters, although they were some distance from the net. I got to give them credit for both those empty netters. But Olsen also took five shots in addition to those two empty net goals. So seven total is playing on the top line and playing a shooter role on the second power play unit with potential. Maybe, maybe uh, this is a wish and a prayer that he gets to do that up on the top power play unit too. Um, I also think it's a good sign that Olsen was on the ice with an empty net twice, right? Like that's a good sign that anytime Buffalo's up by one or two and has an empty net on the other side, Olsen might be someone who gets that opportunity to, to put a goal in that empty net. Um, but even if Olsen's goal scoring so far is a fluke, are you interested given that he's on the top line with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner at five on five? Eh, I, he's kind of a rich man's Dominique Kubelik. <laughs> okay, I actually really like that comparison. And I, I feel, it sounds like you also feel there's not a whole lot more to be said. I mean, playing with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner isn't the boon we hoped it would be either at the start of the season. You know, Tage Thompson had a big breakout last year with 68 points, including 38 goals in 78 games. That's a 71 point pace. And now he's coming in highly touted. Now we're like, oh, Tage Thompson's here for his age 25 season. And he's uh, laid a couple of goose eggs on the score sheet to start the year. Only four shots also, which I would have hoped for six. Like I wouldn't be upset if it was six, but four, my eyebrow was raised, Tage. Also Buffalo. I don't know if you have any insight into this, Steve, but Buffalo seems to have been splitting power play time between their first and second unit. I'm not sure if that's intentional or like has just been the way things have played out. So let's keep watching. Um, and then Jeff Skinner, no point seven shots. So I, I'm less worried about him. He had only one shot in his debut. That was frustrating, but then followed up with six shots in his second outing of the year. So that seems good for Skinner, but should anyone be panicking? Like Steve, if you invested in Tage Thompson or Jeff Skinner in your draft, at you know, appropriate, reasonable moments in your draft, are you starting to panic and think, oopsie, I might've made a mistake? Well, if you invested in Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner at appropriate moments in your draft, then you would never panic because that those were some of your last picks and you can just shuffle them off for other options on the waiver wire. I'm actually, the, the Sabres are super intriguing because they've reached this point in the development cycle where they've got lots of talent and none of it is amazing. So you look at what they were last year and they were shallow enough that they could just keep hammering home Thompson and Skinner and some of their, their highest end talent uh, all the minutes they could handle so that they could try to keep up with scoring. But now it seems like they have legitimately three lines with some offensive talent on it. And so we got to sit back and wait and see if any of these people emerges or if they don't end up in this situation where you were alluding to where both power plays are splitting time all three lines are just kind of rolling over and no one ends up being a 60 point player. It's a concern, but the people who could benefit would be the defensemen if they had a bunch of 50 point players. Right. So, and that, that's interesting because there's one more player I want to bring up in Buffalo, but first in the chat, thanks to Norman Shams, by the way, for sharing this info. So Matthew Kachuk, uh, on average in the couple was a 16th pick overall never picked earlier than eighth. That's pretty early and never picked later than 24th, which goes more with what you said about top 30. And then uh, Norm in the chat mentioned that uh, on average, Tage Thompson was picked 103rd and Skinner was picked a lot later. Uh, like I, I, I know I drafted him maybe somewhere around like 176, somewhere like that. If I were to throw a number out off the top of my head. So Tage Thompson just outside the top hundred which I, I think he was capable of being, I guess let's give him a little more time. Uh, but right. Going back to the point that you were making about how, Hey, the Sabres have more lines to roll. Now it's true. They do. They've got middle stat, Alex Tuck and Jack Quinn on, I guess what I'd call line two and on line three, they have uh, Dylan cousins, Peyton Krebs and JJ Paterka, who as anyone remembers, we had uh, JJ Paterka fever 
last season when he was called up. We were all over adding this guy. He was an early second round draft pick back in 2020 because he was lighting up the HL. He had 68 points in 70 games as a 20 as a 20 year old debuting in North America. And Paterka didn't do much in the NHL with his cup of coffee, but then he went back down to the AHL and had 12 points in 10 games in a playoff run for Rochester, uh, the Buffalo Sabres affiliate. Uh, So far this season, Paterka has a goal and assist for two points in two games and four shots. I'm only mentioning him uh, just because he's sort of on my radar as a deep cut. Third line, 12 minutes a night isn't awesome, but this is a young uh, Munchen, Munichian. What do you call someone? What's the what's the name for someone from Munich? I'm not sure. Uh, German. How about we just go with that? Uh, really good start to uh, to what will hopefully be a fruitful season. And also Alex in the chat pointing out that Rasmus Dahlin has been a stud this year. Uh, two goals on eight shots plus an assist for three points in two games. And uh, yeah, is is looking good. It's nice to see Rasmus Dahlin looking good. Last year, he was looking good too. 54-point pace. It was like the quietest 54-point pace I think we've seen. Because the season before that, it was 34-point pace for Dahlin. We were all very disappointed. Big bounce back last season. Great start to this season. Steve, how into Dahlin are you for the rest of the year? Like, where do you see his point total sort of sort of landing on a consistent basis for the year? Because you mentioned the forwards might have time to share, but it might not be the same on defense where Dahlin is playing 25 minutes a night so far. Yeah, that's kind of what I was alluding to. But uh, first, I want to mention that uh, Berserka for Paterka, anyone can steal that for their fantasy team name. Um, But on Darlene, yeah, that's what that's what I was alluding to. Um, The fact that this team has enough depth up front that they could be scoring at uh, any time is going to be very helpful for Darlene. You know, he's probably not going to continue to put up this pace, but I like what he started to show last season uh, in terms of uh, shots and blocks and hits potential. So uh, multi-category value, even when he's not producing and then he should be producing more and the team shouldn't be as terrible. So he shouldn't kill your plus minus. So there's a lot to like there. He's on all my one year fantasy rosters. Uh, I'm heavily leveraged on Darlene and um, continuing to enjoy that. Lucky you. I wish I got Dalene on a roster this year. I didn't. Uh, but there are some guys still on the list to talk about tonight who you might also enjoy having on your roster. Uh, maybe some deeper cuts you can add for this week. And then some guys who you might be sad that you have on your roster at this juncture of the season. We're going to talk about them too in part two of tonight's episode. So thanks a lot for listening to part one. You should be able to head straight over to the second part of this episode in your feed. Thanks for listening to this one and we'll see you in the next one.